The Truth News Network. Vaccines, masks, vaccine passports, vaccine mandates, and now one country has gone to martial law. Freedoms are not granted by a government, and they can't be held hostage to an agenda. But that's a truth not being spoken, except here. This is TNN, the Truth News Network, and your fearless leader is Dan Newman. Well, don't be confused, folks. Yeah, you get plenty of truth here at Truth News Network. That's what we're all about. We don't have, thankfully, we don't have an exclusive on the truth. There's plenty enough to go around, and we encourage you to dig in. How does this work? Listen to what we say here on TNN Live. Read our stories that are published. Sometimes they're written by those of us within the company. Other times there are guest columnists and reporters. Get the facts from the stories and from the show but then always go confirm their vera, their what? What do you call it? Their reliability. Confirm those things for yourself. Make sure that what you're dealing with and making decisions with is based on facts. Well, welcome back to TNN Live. Tuesday. Can you believe we're already at the middle of February? February 15th. It's amazing how quick time flies. You know, we're already a month and a half into... uh, 2022. I can't, I'm still having problems saying 2022. For so long, uh, it took me forever to say 2021. I was saying 2020 until maybe June or July last year. Maybe the same holds true this year, but I guess that happens when you get old. But at least I'm getting old and I'm alive and I'm happy and I'm productive. And I'm so thankful for you, those of you that come here, to get news and information. That's what we're about. Not everything's good, folks. Not everything's bad. And we've got to find a way to best deal with both of those, however and whatever your life looks like. I encourage you to do that all the time, every day. Do what's best for you and find the options before you make the final decisions. I think you'll find out you'll be a lot better off in the long run. Short term, too. That's the way life works. Sometimes you make a good choice. Sometimes you make a bad choice. What you want to do is make the good one first, right? (laughs) It's got to get better, huh? It's got to get better. So much chaos and confusion in our world today, especially at the top of the heap politically. Folks, I don't know what's driving our um, White House administration. I honestly don't know. And sadly, I think there are a lot of people that are in the Biden administration that don't know that either. People are bailing from high positions in the Biden administration. Also, Kamala Harris' staff. I mean, it's been depleted by almost half. People don't think things are going the way they should be going in a vice president's administration. So there's just a lot of chaos and confusion. And let me tell you how that plays out around the nation. If if you don't already know this, if you haven't already noticed it, it goes outward like ripples when you throw that big rock into the pond and there's a circle right at where the rock hits the water and then it begins to just go ripple after ripple after ripple and the circles get wider and wider. Everything you do, everything you say, none of that exists in a vacuum. It's just like throwing that rock into the pond. It's going to be in one spot initially, but it's going to react those that are first in line right around it. And then that 
reacts and creates another ripple and so forth and so on. And we don't know how wide it goes. So just make sure you're getting your arms around the good stuff and that you get your, at least your uh, idea of the bad stuff so that you can make good choices and good decisions and be educated when you make those. Well, what's happening good today? We're going to get into some of that. But we're also going to look at uh, some of the stuff that didn't work out so good yet. Some of it worked out, but not for the good. The big truck debacle up in Canada, in Ontario, they they were demonstrating against Canadian government vaccine passport requirements. Well, guess what? Yesterday it was announced Ontario's going to end its vaccine passport requirements the first of next month claiming some key public health and health system indicators are continuing to improve. The province announced it's going to ease the next set of restrictions this week on the 17th, increasing social gathering limits at a variety of different places like indoor social gathering spaces. They're going to set a capacity of 50 indoor public settings where proof of vaccination is required will have capacity limits removed completely. What does that include? Well, places like restaurants, bars, movie theaters, casinos, and workout fitness facilities. How about that? However, the big changes are going to start March 1 as the Ontario province is going to lift all remaining capacity limits as well as proof of vaccination requirements. Individual businesses, the government stresses, may continue to require patrons to show their proof for vaccination. Masking requirements will reign in place at this time with a specific timeline to lift this measure to be communicated at a later date. Thanks to the efforts of Ontarians to help blunt the transmission of Omicron, our healthcare indicators suggest a general improvement in the COVID-19 situation in our province. That's from the Chief Medical Officer of Health in Ontario. We're now in a position to lift more public health measures, but it's important to stay vigilant as we don't want to cause any further disruption to people's everyday lives. We must, he said, continue to prevent the transmission of COVID-19 in our communities. How do we do that? By following the measures in place and by vaccinating those who have not yet received their doses. Nowhere in the press release, nowhere, did the province mention the impact of the Canadian Freedom Convoy. You know, that's that big group of truckers protesting Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's heavy-handed COVID mandates. We have freedom in our little community, and we have the Charter of Rights, and suddenly, all of that's kind of thrown out the window, and we're not free anymore. So that's why we're here, essentially. That came from Ryan, first name only, a truck driver from Manitoba, who drove into the nation's capital to show his support. On Friday, Ontario's Premier Doug Ford announced that he, he, is imposing a state of emergency in response to that freedom convoy of truckers. Trudeau is expected to inform provinces he's going to invoke emergencies acts to give the federal government and Canada extra powers to deal with protests across the country. Now, You need to watch that closely. Pierre Trudeau. 
He is a top-down authoritarian. Canada's a socialist country. Maybe we should be saying a socialist light country. But Pierre Trudeau is one of those guys. He wants to get more power centralized to the government and less power at the level of the Canadian people. That's a scary thing. It's a scary process. And even though um, they would not acknowledge the uh, Freedom Convoy had anything to do with it, you and I both know that it did. There's something about, throughout history, people, the populace, protesting peacefully about top-down issues that are unfair, unreasonable, or in some cases even unconstitutional, not just here, but in places like Canada. And when people make a stand and they draw a line in the sand and they hold on to that line in the sand and force those who are on the other side of this whole thing, the government, force them to look at what the people think and say, guess what happens? A lockdown, a vaccine passport thing, it goes away. So why does that affect us here below the border of Canada and the U.S.? Let me tell you how it affects us. You don't think that our leaders in Washington, D.C. did not see, are not watching to know what's going on in that uh, situation just across uh, the border into Canada from Detroit. That all happened, the Freedom Convoy, in um, Ontario, right there across the border. It makes a difference when we express our voices and we make our voices heard. And that's why I have encouraged you here in all of the other things that we're going to get into in the show today that involves our government. You reach out to your government people in your city, in your state, and of course, you're a member of the House of Representatives, and you're a member, your two senates, senators from your state. Reach out to them on any and every issue that we talk about here today and some other ones that you may have issues with that are directly impacted by the actions of those in our government. Things like laws and enforcing laws. <laughs> How in the world anybody would be in politics and swore, swear an, an oath of office to the people in a particular spot and then not enforce the laws that they said they would do to protect those voting constituents, how that is even plausible or acceptable to any person in politics. It's just beyond me. It's mind-boggling. I cannot get my brain wrapped around that. But it happens, folks. It happens. So what does this mean up in Ontario It means the busiest Canadian border crossing is back open. It opened late yesterday. Traffic resumed on that Ambassador Bridge. That connects Windsor, Ontario with Detroit. After the Canadian police officers made some arrests to clear the blockage on the bridge. Windsor Mayor Drew Dilkins said that our national economic crisis at the Ambassador Bridge is over. Illegal acts blockades, and hate speech must not be tolerated and should be denounced. So on the other side of the bridge, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, who, by the way, is a Democrat, she called this um, resumption of traffic a win for Michigan's working families 
who are just trying to do their jobs and for businesses who can get back to shipping products and produce. She said it was important to ensure the bridge wasn't blocked again. Starting in January, last month, truckers started leading protests against mandates imposed by Canadian and U.S. authorities, traveling to major Canadian cities, later traveling to key border crossings. This wasn't just a kind of of all-of-a-sudden kind of thing. It's been rolling along for a month. Several other border crossings, including one connecting Surrey, British Columbia, to Blaine, Washington, still remains closed. Protesters also remained entrenched in Ottawa, Canada's capital, and other cities as many officials refused to give up and give in on the mandates, one of which forces truckers going into Canada to show their proof of vaccination or isolate for a period of time. And of course, all that, all the finger pointing is that their Prime Minister, Canada's Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, who's a hardcore leftist, he has denounced all of these protesters calling for strong action against them for taking their economy hostage. So folks, so much of this is really critical, not just to what's happening in the moment today, because it will be a huge positive impact on the economies of both Canada and the United States. Think about all of the vehicle processes, parts, and materials for our manufacturing assembly plants across northern United States, those border states with Canada. And all that stuff that comes into the United States from Canada stops assembly lines, which, I mean, they're struggling bad enough, can't get electronics for these new cars, and so... Lots of new cars aren't being built that should be. In fact, I know people that have cars ordered, new cars, to be built that have been on order for six, eight months, and they can't get them because parts aren't available. Now, those are specifically technological electronics coming out of Southeast Asia. But then we have these parts coming out of Windsor, Canada. Windsor, Canada has a full-fledged Ford assembly plant. So if you can't move goods and products across the border from the U.S. to Canada, from Canada to the U.S., it stops a lot of people from working. And the downhill of all of that, it just goes layer after layer after layer. Hopefully, wisdom will prevail in the political leadership. Did you notice what Justin Trudeau said? And they're not ever giving the convoy any credit for any of these decisions that they're making. And I got to be honest with you, that to me is a stupid thing, a stupid position for these leaders up there, political leaders to take, because what it shows to the people is they're not making changes because they believe it's better for the Canadian people. They're making changes because they're being forced to do it, but they don't want to admit that they're doing it because they're being forced to do it. When everybody knows they're doing it because we put so much heat on them. They don't win in that. That's the wrong way to look at this. Average citizens, not just Canadians, but here in the United States, when our leaders screw stuff up, and let me just be honest with you, it doesn't necessarily mean that they're bad people when they mess up. I mean, I'm a good guy. I'll tell you this, if you don't know me, 
I'm a good guy, and I mess up. I make mistakes. I make poor choices sometimes. And I'm forced to live with my poor choices. Being in business for a lot of years, had a bunch of employees. Lots of times they pay some prices because of bad choices I made as the owner and CEO of a company. Nobody lives in a vacuum, folks. All of our choices impact not only us, but those who are around us. And our social circles are very varied. In many cases, I have people in my social circle that you have them in yours. You understand where I'm going with this. There is a ripple effect. We got to make sure that when we are making our choices, that we're doing those, those decisions for the right reasons. Well, I'm glad it looks like we've got at least a temporarily uh, implemented stay on that convoy, that truck convoy up there and the stagnation it's, it's caused for getting goods and services back and forth across our northern border. But folks, there's chaos. There's craziness going on. And it just gets bigger and bigger and deeper and deeper every day. Yesterday, Monday, we talked about that Durham probe on uh, the origins of the Russia collusion story and that he filed, I guess basically it was a white paper late Friday with the government that put out some revelations that uh, really blasted in a demonstrative way, with facts, by the way, that Russia collusion hoax that was perpetrated, we are finding out now in the Durham investigation, at least the little pieces just released, the Clinton campaign is at the bottom of it. Does that, does that surprise you? Well, we've known from the very beginning the allegations were there. It sure looked like it. We do know that the FBI was up to their eyeballs in corruption because they proceeded to file a fake, fraudulent affidavit with the FISA court to get the initial authorization to spy on the Trump campaign. And the FISA court gave them the warrant to do that and renewed it three times. Why? Because they were presenting false evidence that there was need to do that. Durham's way up to his neck in investigating it all, and it looks like we've got uh, some stuff that's going to continue to flow, and we're going to learn more and more and more and more about it every day now. Well, something that uh, yesterday when the story really got big, I hadn't thought about, and all of a sudden I just realized, do you remember the mainstream media, how they handled all of those allegations of the Trump-Russia collusion, Donald Trump and his folks, Republicans and other conservatives screaming and hollering because it looked like it was almost certain for two years that all of that was actually being done. People did not know but really thought that the Hillary Clinton campaign was in the middle of it. But when the stuff started coming out, the horrible and sometimes illegal things that were being perpetrated by those in the Department of Justice and the FBI, we really knew something bad was happening. But the mainstream media, on the most part, they just blasted Donald Trump for even alleging that there was a hoax, a Russia collusion hoax. So the mainstream media folks, Monday, 
And today, they're getting a daily wake-up call. Now, why would, why would I be saying that? Do you not remember? Special Counsel Durham released information in this new filing on Saturday that Hillary, her campaign hired technicians to infiltrate Trump Tower and also White House servers, White House servers, folks, to establish a narrative to link Trump to Russia. And those new findings contradict a bunch of various doubtful media coverage from programs like, I mean, credible ones, CBS 60 Minutes. In a 2020 October interview, Trump appeared on the news magazine, 60 Minutes, to address the ongoing investigation and his claim that his campaign was spied on. Of course, Leslie Stahl was asking the questions and she shot him down, insisting the president was spreading unverified information. There's no real evidence, she said. This is 60 Minutes. We can't put out things we can't verify. Meanwhile, former CNN dynamic duo Don Lemon and Chris Cuomo They both criticized John Durham and the Trump administration back in 2019, almost three years ago, for being adamant about uncovering the facts, yet coming up short. Here's what Lemon said, quote, nothing happens and they just move on to the next conspiracy theory. It's never going to end and guess what? People who want to believe that BS are just going to believe it. And then, over on MSNBC, We have Rachel Maddow. She is the consummate Trump hater. In an October of 2021 episode of The Rachel Maddow Show, Rachel suggested that the intention behind efforts to probe the investigation was always to reroute the investigation away from Trump himself. She said, it's a boomerang because it apparently is an ongoing concerted Republican and pro-Trump project to try to turn the investigation of the Russia scandal into some kind of scandal itself. So since the Durham's bombshell report dropped, media pundits on the left have gone largely quiet. Of course, they're not going to say anything, and they certainly will never come on and dignify any of their reporting with an apology. Publications like the Washington Post, the New York Times, they failed to commission any coverage of the latest allegations as of last night. Twitter users, like author and cartoonist Scott Adams, translated the media blackout as if networks like CNN were actively trying to avoid the biggest story as of current. In other words, I think, this is what I think. I I know a little bit about national news, not a lot, but I know how they operate. I guarantee you they've had dozens of meetings at MSNBC and CNN and the New York Times and the Washington Post trying to come up with a way to report on this so that it doesn't get away. I mean, this is a big deal. It's been uncovered and it's factual and there's stuff out there that can be verified that's not coming from the mouth of Donald Trump. (laughs) I know that's unusual. And yesterday on our show, we gave you how he had responded uh, very calmly for him, as a matter of fact, but basically saying there's vindication there. And he thinks the bad players need to be held accountable. But you know what? Just talking about that for just a second, 
the bad players being held accountable. Now, in the case of this, who would hold these bad players accountable? The players we're talking about was a couple of lawyers that we told you about. Sussman, campaign lawyer for the Hillary Clinton campaign, was one of them. And tech, people inside tech companies. They didn't name them. They weren't named in the Durham papers that were dropped. But there are internet companies that were complicit with the bad actors in the Clinton campaign that went out and broke laws and they actually spied on computer service in the White House after Donald Trump became president. So we're talking about some really nasty stuff, folks. This isn't like a slap on the hand and don't you do it again. It's nothing like that. So I thought it was interesting. Byron Yark, you hear him and see him pretty regularly on Fox News as a contributor. He uh, he weighed in overnight with the most shocking part of the Durham report. Byron Yark on Fox News. Well, adding to the evidence revealed in Durham's filing, old tweets from the Clinton campaign resurfaced this weekend. In one from 2016, Hillary Clinton ha- outlined how uh, Trump was connected to Russia, adding that her campaign's senior policy advisor, Jake Sullivan, who is now President Biden's national security advisor, knew more. Here's what Sullivan had to say at the time. Quote, this could be the most direct link yet between Donald Trump and Moscow. Computer scientists have uncovered a covert server linking the Trump organization to a Russian-based bank. This secret hotline may be the key to unlocking the mystery of Trump's ties to Russia. Joining us with his take, Washington Examiner chief political correspondent and Fox News contributor Byron York. It is fascinating in hindsight now to to read those tweets. Uh, Hillary Clinton was desperate to prove that Donald Trump was somehow tied to Russia. And according to this John Durham filing, it was the Clinton campaign Uh, that was actually spying on Trump and ultimately on the president of the United States. That's right. This was the last weeks of the 2016 campaign. The Clinton uh, campaign was getting uh, a little desperate at that point, but they had been trying for months to try to link the Trump campaign and Donald Trump himself and Russia. It began first with news around the DNC hack around the time of the Democratic Convention, and then it kept going. And in this case, uh, Jake Sullivan, who was then her uh, top advisor, was trying to sell the idea. It was called the Alpha Bank scandal, with Alpha Bank being a Russian bank, and they alleged that there were a lot of uh, computer connections uh, between Alpha Bank and the Trump organization. Wasn't true, didn't come to anything, but the idea, here's what the idea was. The idea was to sell it to the FBI. Uh, and then they could tell reporters that the FBI was investigating something. It's not just us and the Clinton campaign saying this, it's the FBI that's investigating it. That would have given it more credibility with the press, and that was what the Clinton campaign was trying to pull off in the final weeks of the campaign. There was a uh, an op-ed today in the Washington Examiner, not written by you, but by Kayla McGee-White. She writes this, the worst part is that our intelligence community took the Clinton campaign's findings which were either highly misleading or outright false, according to Durham's investigation, and ran with them. The FBI launched an investigation into Trump's campaign, and congressional Democrats started their own investigation for the sole purpose of making Trump Trump out to be a Russian stooge. 
and nearly three years later, few of the people responsible for this hoax have faced any consequences. Hopefully, now that there are signs Durham's investigation is heating up, that changes soon. It, it is fascinating to read uh, what Durham's uh, filing says, that, that they contacted a tech executive and a tech company and had them trying to spy on the, the campaign servers of the Trump campaign. And ultimately, uh, when he won the election and he was in the White House, they were still continuing that. President, uh, then President Trump says this was worse than Watergate, is it? Well, that last part was was really amazing and and bad. Yes, first of all, in in the final days of the campaign, they were trying again to connect Trump uh, and Russia. What's really striking in this Durham report is after the campaign is over, after Trump wins during the transition, and then he becomes president, they're trying to do the same thing with the servers of the executive office of the president. That's absolutely extraordinary. And you remember, in the first months of the Trump administration, the whole Russia allegation with the publication of the dossier was enormously damaging to the president, just incredibly damaging to the president. And now it appears to be the work of, in part, the Clinton campaign, the Democratic Party, various activists involved and obviously people on the right people in government on the right especially they uh, they're taking notice of this now it's interesting Republican leadership as of this moment I've not seen or heard them coming out and pointing a finger a finger and doing any blaming of the Clinton campaign you know what this is folks it's political posturing that's what it is. Mitch McConnell, prime example. He is not best buddies with Donald Trump. He wasn't during the White House. Donald Trump has been very abrasive and very specific about the problems that he has and some of the problems he thinks Mitch McConnell as the former majority leader in the Senate, now minority leader in the Senate, he really hasn't stepped up to play ball on Republican and conservative legislation and has been slow rolling pretty much everything. And, of course, Mitch McConnell does not really care for Donald Trump. He won't say that now. And why won't he say it like that? Political posturing. We have an election coming up. Actually, one this year and one two years after that. All of this, I promise you, is going to make major ramifications for a lot of people in these upcoming elections. It's going to start now. And you're going to start hearing a bunch of people roll to the left, roll to the right, trying to find a niche where they cannot damage their own political careers without having to take a bullet. You know, people that weren't anti-Trumpers, some people that weren't anti-Trumpers, but they've never stepped up to show any support or ever said anything about the potential of the wrongdoing that was evidently happening but nobody would ever put their finger on it. Interesting, none of that stuff ever came out of the Mueller investigation. Well, here we are. John Durham's found it. Now, there is one Republican leader that uh, I don't think he's ever going to be caught without expressing his feelings on corruption. That's Ohio Representative Jim Jordan. Yesterday, he weighed in on that Durham investigation news and what he did was call on Republicans to conduct a full investigation if and when they retake control of the House in November. And all this stuff coming out now, 
It just makes it easier for the Republicans to win, in my opinion. So in America's newsroom on Monday, Jim Jordan said the report that Hillary Clinton paid to infiltrate the Trump administration's servers, both in the campaign and in the Trump presidency, Jordan said it's as wrong as it gets. He continued, they were creating the very news they were then tweeting about and trying to get the media to write about. This is, frankly, it's no different. It's the template that the left uses that the Democrats use. It's the same thing that happened four months ago when we found out the Department of Education went out and solicited the letter from the National School Board Association so they could do what they wanted to do, namely spy on parents. The same thing happened here. Now again, this is Jim Jordan talking, and this is what's so egregious and so wrong about it. They spied on a presidential campaign. That's as wrong as it gets. But then we found out from this filing, they actually spied on a sitting president, which is even worse. So this is just simply as wrong as it can possibly be. We do need to investigate this stuff and get to every bit of information we can if, in fact, the people give us the majority here in a few months. And if for no other reason, for this reason. I believe every conservative needs to unite just so we can get to the bottom of this. And folks, that's that horse is out of the barn. We're not going to go back and redo the 2016 election. We're not going to go back and redo the 2020 election. That's behind us. But let me tell you why it's so important that we do get to these facts. Hold those accountable for what they did that was wrong and in many cases illegal. Hold them accountable. Government people, non-government people, and make them pay the absolute top price that the law allows for, for each and every one of them. I don't care if it's a Democrat. I don't care if it's a Republican. Americans are sick and tired of this What goes on in Washington, D.C., it's okay just because it's our leaders. And they're in a position where they need to be, where they can just do whatever they want to do. We can't live in this world. We just can't do it. And it's got to stop. But it won't stop until we, the people, stop it. You do understand that. Nobody in Congress, nobody in Congress is going to step up and really initiate something unless and until the furor among the electorate is such so that they have no choice but to take it on. So in the middle of all of this, took a run to a former FBI official yesterday and began to talk to him about a lot of potential changes and charges in Durham's probe. Now, in the early going of the John Durham report, we, we were leaked a lot of information that, you know, there's some bad stuff coming. And we waited, and we waited, and we waited. We assumed the summer, and we were told by some uh, leaders in the Republican Party By summer of 2020, you know, months before the election in 2020, we were going to get Durham's report that was going to point the finger at a lot of bad actors 
in that 2016 Russia collusion debacle that took place, and then nothing ever happened. And so a lot of people just assume, well, apparently there's no there there. Durham hadn't said a peep. So one FBI, former FBI director, he weighed in on this overnight. Listen to him and the explanations that he gives about this. Chris Swecker, former assistant FBI director. Chris, thanks for being here. At its core, Chris, isn't this the equivalent of somebody, quite frankly, planning evidence on an innocent person? Well, I, I liken it to Watergate in the sense that they, that, that uh, Sussman got his hands on information he wasn't entitled to, but rather than burglarize the information or break into the, uh, to get the information, the night watchman let him in. I mean, the, the keepers of this tech information uh, gave that information to them. We weren't, our, our assessment was not entitled to that information. Then he kind of turned, turned, it, turned it on its head, cast it in a very different light, in a false light, and then passed it on to two intelligence agencies, the FBI and the CIA. So th- this was information that was, was basically, uh, they were not entitled to and they provided false information. They, they doctored up the information and pumped it into the FBI to try to predicate an investigation on an opponent. Not only that, they used government contractors, people in the private sector at a university who were working on a government contract to analyze the information. That's fraud against the government. Yeah, to put it plainly, uh, the allegation is that a, the Clinton campaign and a tech company were spying on a sitting president in the White House. Um, where does this go from here? Who will be held accountable? I think that everybody watching is wondering, will, this, will Hillary Clinton eventually be held accountable? Well, first, uh, it's a clear indication that John Durham is, is still working very hard at this. I think he's been delayed somewhat by trying to get his hands on international evidence, which is always difficult, electronic evidence, et cetera. But, I, you know, it's hard to tell how, how high this will go. And he's, he's, he's in, in this for not just to indict low-level people if they're responsible. The idea is to work his way up the ladder, so, you know, like they do in any investigation. So I'm not sure where it's going to go from here, but, I, you know, I suspect there's going to be some mid-level people that they target next mm-hmm. and try to flip. We'll, we'll see where that goes. I mean, I, I, what disturbs me the most is the way the two agencies gobbled this information up and didn't seem to question it or the source of the information. Surely they could, they could source this information better than they did. They, and I feel like we had some ideologues at the head of both agencies at wow. that time. Chris, there's an ancillary <clears throat> issue here that I know a number of us are wondering. How did this company, albeit with granted access to a degree, penetrate the White House, which I would imagine, from a cybersecurity perspective, should be the most secure in the world, if not our entire country? Well, they, they, had, they had the help of this tech company. You know, even the most secure um, tech systems still have some third-party involvement. And in this case, it was, it was well, I'm not going to say the name of the company, but it was a tech company that had, had the, was sort of the keeper of the DNS, the domain names. So they, they analyzed, they, they got a data dump or several on that information, and again, used the government contractors to analyze it. So there's a lot of things wrong here. I, I see a lot of potential charges, mail fraud, wire fraud, depending on how the information was communicated. I mean, this is going somewhere. Yeah, and you have you know, John Radcliffe saying the exact same thing, that he thinks that there's already enough evidence to indict multiple people, so certainly more to come on this front. Chris, thank you so much for joining us. 
don't be don't be tempted to look at this and say, you know what? We lived through two years of the Mueller investigation and nothing happened. We lived through two years of the John Durham investigation and nothing's happened. So there's not going to be anything happen. Let me just say this. There's enough information, enough detail that's already out there that this is probably going to be the thing that comes up and forces people in power. I'm talking about not just Republicans in power. I'm talking about people in the White House are going to pacify tens of millions of Americans who have thought this all along, that thought it was egregious. There's going to be enough pushback. They're going to finally have to hold some people accountable. But going to our break, here's a thought for you, one that I had. Who will be the one or the ones to hold these people accountable? We're talking about people in the Department of Justice. They violated federal law. Who are those people? The FBI, the Department of Justice, Attorney General Merrick Garland. Now, my question to you is, do you see any way where a Democrat, Merrick Garland, in charge of ultimately the person who gets prosecuted and who doesn't. Can you imagine the kind of political pressure that the real big shots in the Democrat Party in past Democrat administrations, led by the likes of former President Barack Obama, can you imagine the kind of pressure they're going to put on everybody in the Department of Justice that would be in the line of power that would make all of the decisions regarding what, if anything's going to happen to these perpetrators as the evidence comes out and confirms numerous federal laws have been broken. Felony, uh, felony law, you know, with, with five years prison sentence and hundreds of thousands of dollar fines that are built into these violations of federal laws. I'm not going to hold my breath, but at this particular moment, I'm optimistic more than I ever have that maybe, just maybe, some righteousness may just show its head in the federal government. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Dear Daddy, dear Mom, I love you. I miss you. Every year, Snowball Express honors the children of fallen soldiers. Hi, everybody. I'm Tony Orlando. Join me in proudly supporting Snowball Express, a nonprofit that creates opportunities to help heal the children of our fallen heroes. We can never repay the sacrifice our soldiers have made, but we can honor them by giving back to their children. Donate now at snowballexpress.org. Cars today are computers on wheels. That's it. Uh, the fancy new tech makes our life easier in the car, but when something breaks, can you afford to fix the touchscreen display or the sensor, which can cost thousands of dollars? Most likely, no. That's why I have Car Shield, and it takes away the worry and the panic of the expensive repair that you know is coming. Car Shield, their protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs, including everything from an engine, transmission, GPS, electronics, and more. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work, and Car Shield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary roadside assistance and a rental car. It's inevitable something's going to break. It happens to everybody, including me. So get coverage from America's number one 
auto protection company like I did and find out why CarShield cars go farther. Rates are as low as $99 a month, so visit CarShield.com. Use the promo code IHEART to save 10%. That's CarShield.com, promo code IHEART. Deductible may apply. Ah, luxury. The aroma is full-bodied, the flavor is decadent, the touch divine, and the drive Yes, the drive of luxury is simply infinity. Introducing the Infinity Luxury Test Tour. If you think you are familiar with luxury, you haven't driven an infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove invites you to truly become familiar with luxury and take a luxury test tour. It's like a test drive, but with more luxury. We invite you to drive luxury to luxury, not for an hour or even a day, but for an entire weekend. Your choice. Select your infinity and motor off to a luxury weekend in Lake Tahoe or Napa Valley. And yes, all the luxury is on us. Introduce yourself to LuxuryTestTour.com and truly become familiar with luxury. Infinity of Elk Grove is literally giving you the keys to a luxury experience like none other. LuxuryTestTour.com. Drive luxury, drive infinity. Infinity of Elk Grove. Expect more. Truth. Justice. The TNN way. This is TNN, the Truth News Network. And again, Dan Newman. Well, we've got a lot more important facts to wade into. But before we do, I mean, we're at the middle of February. And we got a lot of year in front of us. I mean, we're just really getting started in this this year. And a lot of us are looking at our lives. This is a retrospective time of year. There are a lot of people that wait till after the first of the year to begin to, you know, really plan what they're going to do in this upcoming year. I had some thoughts. Came from an old farmer. And I thought I'd pass them along to you. Now, these are, each line, each one of them is going to make you, if you listen to them, and you think about them, you're going to be reflective. You're going to want to know, well, you know, this is, I don't want to just race through this. I need to think this through. So I'm going to go through a few of them slowly. Maybe you think about them now, but maybe you think about them in detail later. You ready? Your fences need to be horse high, pig tight, and bull strong. Number two. Keep skunks, bankers, and lawyers at a distance. Life is simpler when you plow around the stump. A bumblebee is considerably faster than a John Deere tractor. (laughs) That explanation is pretty obvious. Words that soak into your ears are whispered, not yelled. Meanness don't just happen overnight. It's a process. Forgive your enemies. It messes up their heads. Do not corner something that you know is meaner than you. I had a rabid possum I thought I cornered in the backyard a couple of years ago. I found out it wasn't that. It was who cornered who, and he cornered me. It don't take a very big person to carry a grudge. You can't unsay 
a cruel word. Every path has a few puddles. And this thing goes on and on. I'm going to stop with this one, this next one. We'll come back and we'll give you the rest of this at a later show. When you wallow with pigs, you're going to get dirty. Wow. Man, there are some deep, deep truths in all of that, aren't there? We know we told you about the convoy. That convoy of truckers up in Ontario, and it looks like that thing finally is over. Our news media here in the U.S. hasn't been reporting that this is not the only place this kind of protesting and demonstrating is happening. It's been happening in France, folks. I mean, demonstrations for all of the vaccine passports, the lockdowns, the mandatory vaccinations, masking and all that kind of stuff. We've seen not not much, if any, violence on those matters here in the United States, but overseas, folks, it's vastly different. French police, they squared off with thousands of protesters that were and are attempting to establish a Canadian-style convoy in Paris that's in response to the draconian COVID measures that Emmanuel Macron's government has imposed upon France. A little over a month after Macron infamously announced that he wanted to piss off, his words, piss off, the unvaccinated people in France by introducing full-on vaccine passports in the country, over 3,000 vehicles have attempted to enter Paris to demand an end to what they're calling the COVID regime. It's not clear right now how many vehicles of them actually made it into the city. Police were sending many cars away throughout yesterday. Ahead of the demonstration, President Macron called on Friday for calm, saying, quote, We are all collectively tired of what we have been experiencing for two years now, and sometimes this fatigue also translates into anger. I hear and respect her, but I call for the greatest calm. As of right now, what we know, five people have been arrested for carrying slingshots. Police have used tear gas and used tractors and tow trucks to remove vehicles from the Champs-Élysées area of Paris. The prefecture of Paris police force said 7,200 officers were deployed in the city to prevent the convoy from embedding itself there. Police were seen smashing the windows of supposed demonstrators in order to remove them from their cars. Now this is a little different than what we heard about what was happening in Ontario and uh, Detroit. An organizer of that convoy told one newspaper, maybe some people want to put on masks and get injected because it reassures them, but I refuse not to be given the right to enter certain places just because I don't want to be injected, because I don't want to be playing the great COVID board game. Commenting on the protest, a right-wing populist presidential candidate, Marine Le Pen, said, energy prices keep going up, no government response, the vax pass is useless and yet it does not remove this device that violates individual freedoms. I understand the annoyance of the French people. Meanwhile, another trucker convoy descended upon the Dutch parliament in the city center of The Hague. 
According to a report, trucks, cars, tractors all shut down access to the area of the city in response to their serious coronavirus measures and regulations. Like Paris and Brussels, the mayor of The Hague had banned the Freedom Convoy prior to the demonstration beginning, with those breaking the decree facing arrest, fines, and being liable for the cost of towing their car. So while the protest it was mostly dissolved by the cops, Dutch public broadcaster reported a similar protest is expected to occur this coming Sunday, with some of the truckers also planning to drive to Brussels or Paris to join other convoys. Now let me just say this. I'm going to go back up to the 10,000-foot level right now. You can stay in Paris or you can stay in Brussels or Ontario. I love Ontario. It's really a neat territory up there, and it's not that far from the United States. You don't have to go very far up into there to find out what the Canadian life and the Canadian people are a lot alike. Just one of those things. But in the middle of this, let me just just give you what I considered to be the structure of this convoy protesting and what it's going to look like. First of all, We live in a free country here in the United States, probably the freest country on the planet. Even with our problems that we have right now and our government issues that we have right now, we're still probably the freest country on the planet. Canada's not far behind. But what these leaders are doing is testing us. They're testing us to find out how far we are willing to go And how far the people of Canada and the UK and the Netherlands, how much of our freedoms we are willing to give up to our government and how much we're not willing to give up. And what are we willing to do to stop these governments from going deeper and deeper and deeper into our rights in the United States, specifically our constitutional rights? and the laws that have been passed by our federal leaders for generations. It's a test. And to be quite honest with you, if this had happened 10 years ago, this this whole charade thing, the pandemic, the, the mandatory vaccinations, and all of the lockdowns and everything to go along with it, If it happened 10 years ago, I would have told you, if you asked me about it, the the American people would never, first of all, our government would never do that. And I would have been wrong. And secondly, the American people would not push back like the American people are pushing back now. That's what I would have said 10 years ago. And I would have been wrong. Circumstances are different. Processes in life for citizens of every country on the earth, they very seldom stay level and the same over years and decades. Very seldom ever. There's ebb and flow. And a lot of that ebb and flow has to do with the purposes of the government, the one that is in power at the time these circumstances change. Who they are, what they want to get done, what they demand, and what they will allow. And obviously, politicians in many ways are just like business managers and leaders. 
You got to find ways to deal with the people that you have working with you at that particular time. Those people's names and faces and those that replace them, their personalities and their thoughts and desires may be different. But you got to go with the one that's right there with you right now and deal with them. Now, I'm not one of the so-called conspiracy theorists that believe there is some New World Order group of people, the very wealthy, the very heavily politically connected that are trying to take control of Earth. I'm not one of those people. But let me tell you where I fall in this discussion. I fall at the point where I think, and it's almost come to the point where I have some certainty, that here in the United States, there is a concerted effort from those on the left politically in the United States, and not all those. I'm not saying every Democrat falls into this. There are some Republicans, I think, that fall into this category. But I think there is a concerted push to give the government more power over the people. And the big test is not out in the open where we go forward, they bring something forward for us as voters to listen to and look at and make our choices on and that we pull a, push a lever or make a choice through an election the way our governments are supposed to run. Yeah, we like it or no, we don't. They don't want to go there. They want to just take a step in the direction towards taking more control and seizing more power and just see what our reactions are going to be. And in this nation, you and I both know, you know people personally, I know you do, I do, people that just won't take it. They're going to get in your face. They're going to jump right back there. Well, these government people that are testing us, they're looking at the reactions of everybody. And they'll come up with a consensus opinion of, should we back away from this or should we stay right here and just give it a little time and then try to see what additional powers we can seize looking for control. There is no question in my mind, in large part here in the United States expressly, that's happening right now. Democrats in leadership, top to bottom in this administration, Joe Biden, I'm not even sure he's involved in this process. I think he is, but it's indirectly, and I don't think he knows what he's being used to do. And that's not a slam against him. That's just looking at the way it is, folks, watching the circumstances and the responses. If you were with us yesterday, you heard him totally deny that huge report from the Army, leaders in the Army that analyzed the withdrawal out of Afghanistan perpetrated last September by Joe Biden and his administration, how unplanned it was, how disorganized it was, and that Biden would not adhere to the suggestions given to him by his military leaders, they told him, this report says, and it's multiple people. It's not one or two or three or four. It's dozens of military leaders across our branches of government said it was a horrible withdrawal. It was not planned. There was no real preparation made. It was done in, almost in the dark of the night. And we all know what the results were. That's where Joe Biden is, but he's not, he's not out there 
in the middle of all of this. So who is? I'm not even sure Nancy Pelosi is a part of it. I'm sure she's being informed or she's being instructed or she's receiving information after the fact. There is a power player or two or three in D.C., I think, and I have strong confidence in her pulling the strings. The ones that are making all these things at least begin and watching to see what else should we do now based upon the reactions of the American people. Who is that person that I'm almost positive is leading this quietly behind the scenes? I think the political person involved in this is former President Barack Obama. Why do I think that? Well, first of all, He's the first president of the United States that when they left office decided to hang around and live in Washington, D.C. And he's just, his mansion is just blocks from the White House. And he has, in that mansion property, he has built pretty much a fortress that includes a lot of people that are there with him. Most of those people that are there with him came out of the Biden administration, excuse me, the Obama and Biden administration of leaders that were put together over eight years. So why are they still there? Why is Valerie Jarrett, who was the number one advisor for Barack Obama through all of his eight years, never had a title? But if you wanted to reach Barack Obama, if you wanted to speak to him about anything, you went through Valerie Jarrett. She's on that Obama property daily. And they're purposely, in my opinion, being quiet, dodging the news media, not wanting to put their faces out in the marketplace for people to see and think about. And I don't think Barack Obama's out there by himself. I think it requires lots of money to prepare for and initiate any kind of process that can be so far wide and so deeply entrenched in the Americans' infrastructure, and I'm not talking about physical infrastructure, I'm talking about laws, our economy, our political structure, everything to do with America. A lot of money involved in doing it, and not just for the dollars. People that have a lot of money get a lot of power from people knowing they have that kind of money, and I think there is one person that is obviously way, way, way into the fabric of social justice, and I'm putting those two words in quotation marks, social justice, because it's really not justice. It's leftism, and I'm talking about George Soros. He and Obama work closely together, but they don't acknowledge publicly that they are a team. And I think this is a team effort. And I'm pretty sure at some point we're going to know that, first of all, they are a team. They're working together and what their objective is. And I think it will not happen until Joe Biden is gone from the White House. Just saying. I don't have any hard evidence, but reading between the lines, drawing some inferences based upon things that I see and hear and things that are said, I'm positive. I may be wrong on one of the two, but I guarantee you one of the two 
is neck deep in this. The other one maybe is somewhere at arm's length, but involved. Maybe not be the top line power broker, but there's a lot of stuff going on behind the lines, folks, that we don't see. And you got to remember, you got to realize that objective, the objective of authoritarianism or top-down government seizing more power and control for the government, you can't do that quickly. Now, Joe Biden has unwound it quickly. I mean, I would have never thought he could get as much bad stuff put in place as he has across the board with our economy and with COVID-19 and our pandemic in just one year. He's been very successful at doing that, but he's had help, big time help from behind. And it's planned and concerted. I know that. Always get the truth on TNN, the Truth News Network. Find it exclusively at truthnewsnet.org. I love going all natural. It just makes me feel better. Nothing between me and my 100% all natural. Juicy, grass-fed beef. Introducing the all-natural burger, the first ever in fast food. With no antibiotics, no added hormones, and no steroids. Only at Carl's Jr. So you guys grew up together? Yes, yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? songs from the 70s and 80s just for that reason. Back then, they all had a meaning, a very specific meaning, pretty much. And uh, the sound was always intelligible, and you could hear and understand the words. We don't get that a lot now. And I'm a musician. I'm just being honest, not being uh, nasty. You know, we were talking about the, um, the uproar and the furor about what went on in that Afghanistan pullout and these military leaders that late last week, I think it was Friday, Thursday or Friday, they came out with that 100-plus page report and made it very clear that they gave the president, when he asked for it, they, the leaders in all different branches of government, specifically the Army is the one I think, they uh, took the lead on creating this report that they put out there. And they said the president would not listen to the advice that they gave him when he asked. Well, CNN's Jake Tapper. I lost my mic there for a second. I'm sorry. CNN's Jake Tapper 
he has just gone stark raving crazy about Joe Biden not taking responsibility. And he weighed in in very demonstrative fashion, couching no words for the president. But I do not understand why he would not manifest that care into taking this investigation more seriously, absorbing the tragic details, contemplating the obvious failures of his administration, failures that cost lives. Now, Biden always bristles at this because he feels confident that ending the war in Afghanistan was the right decision. But that's not the question at hand. It's not whether, but how the war ended and what that means to the people who were there when it did finally end. No part of these military interviews ring true because that's not what I was told. If this was not what you were told, then what was? And don't you have an obligation, sir, to be told? Don't you have an obligation to Ryan Canas's family, to his grieving mother? They were sitting ducks. How do I feel? I feel grief and I feel anger. I am angry for the waste of life. Isn't that how you demonstrate how much you care? Otherwise, isn't it just words? Now, don't want to belabor the um, the furor over the way that we pulled out Af- Afghanistan. I don't want to. But I wanted you to hear that because it leads in to the next topic. We're, we're facing another international political and military debacle. And Joe Biden's still in charge. And I'm just wondering what the potential negative outcomes of what we're facing today will be because of Biden's poor um, decision-making. I'm trying to be kind. <laughs> his poor decision-making throughout his history when, regarding many things regarding foreign policy. And this thing about Russia and Ukraine, folks, it they, they just keep propping it up at the White House. It's big, it's big, it's imminent, it's going to be ugly, and oh, Vladimir Putin's going to do this, and it'll be dire for him if he does this. They're not giving any specifics. They're not talking what they may do. But I think what the posturing has been, it's kind of like the posturing that happened when Bashar Assad was gassing his own people and killing thousands of people by gas in Syria. You remember that? Barack Obama was president. Joe Biden was vice president. I remember one uh, press briefing where they were both at the up by the podium memory I, I i don't think biden said a word he was standing to the back and behind obama when he said this but remember that line in the sand that obama drew basar assad if you gas any more of your syrian people that's our line in the sand you are gonna pay dearly well guess what basar assad did he flipped off the white house from way away flipped off Joe uh, uh, Barack Obama, and he chep, just kept gassing his people. There were no consequences out of the Obama administration for that. It was nothing but blather, empty threats and promises. So Biden's been out there, and his minions like Jake Sullivan and Secretary of State Blinken, they've been out there on the television news circuit and doing interview after interview after interview, and, oh, it's imminent. Ukraine is going to be invaded. 
How far is he going to go? He being Vladimir Putin. How bad is it going to be? How many people are going to die? Okay, how is that playing out over there? We hear our little stuff here in the United States. And of course, we being Americans, and because we've been like at the top of the heap when it comes to countries for so many years, we take all that for granted. But we expect that what we see in here, because we are the best, that everything we see in here reflects actual things. And we really don't know that. So I, I thought it was intriguing to me when um, the president of Ukraine, Volodymyr Zelensky, when he started asking questions of our president about every day saying, it's imminent, Russia's going to invade Ukraine, it's imminent. So President Zelensky played down the intensified warnings of a possible Russian invasion within days. And he said this on an international level, that he had yet to see convincing evidence himself, even as the U.S. warned over the weekend of more Russian troops pressing closer to Ukraine's borders and some airlines canceling or diverting flights there. Zelensky says warnings of Russian invasion provoking panic, and he demands to see firm proof. Now, he directed those demands at Secretary of State Antony Blinken and National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan or the White House. The White House said President Biden would talk later in the day with Ukrainian President Zelensky. The Ukrainian leader's repeated statements urging calm among his people while Russian forces surround Ukraine on three sides now in what Russia insists are military exercises over the weekend. Remember, most countries on the weekends, they're kind of quiet, just pretty much like us. And so what happens in that scenario? You've heard all these fear mongers about there for days and days saying the sky is falling. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. And you go dark over the weekend. What does that mean? Well, Monday, yesterday, you come back and it's like, well, where are we? Where are you? Over the weekend, calls from the Ukrainians grew. Zelensky questioned the strident warnings from our officials in the U.S. that Russia could be planning to invade as soon as today or tomorrow, Tuesday or Wednesday. The U.S. picked up intelligence that Russia is looking at Wednesday as a target date. That's according to a U.S. official familiar. Now, let me tell you this. If you believe that somebody in the U.S. government who has access to that kind of information would somehow put it out there, oh, yeah, this is we got some stuff, and it looks like Russia's going to invade Ukraine Wednesday. It ain't happening, folks. It's not happening. That official who was not authorized to speak publicly and did so, here we go, only on condition of anonymity, he wouldn't say how definitive his intelligence was. Here's a quote from him. This is in response, I'm sorry, from Jake Sullivan. We're not going to give Russia the opportunity to conduct a surprise here to spring something on Ukraine or the world. 
Jake Sullivan is the national security advisor for the president. We're going to make sure that we are laying out for the world what we see as transparently and plainly as we possibly can. So the U.S. pretty much hadn't made public the evidence it says is underlying its most specific warnings on the possible invasion, the planning, or the timing of Russia going into Ukraine. The Russians have now, they've deployed missile and air and naval and special ops forces as well as supplies to sustain an invasion. Russia moved six amphibious assault ships into the Black Sea, adding it to its capability to land on the coast. Pentagon spokesman John Kirby said that Russia had well over 100,000 troops along Ukraine's border. We've heard that now for a month. And actually over the last few days, Kirby said, even more. Well, Kirby cited a mosaic of intelligence. I like that phrase, that term. A mosaic of intelligence that the U.S. had gathered, but he gave nobody any details. We have good sources of intelligence, and they're telling us that, you know, that things are sort of building now to some crescendo opportunity for Mr. Putin. Zelensky's comments indicated frustration at the warnings from D.C. He's trying to minimize damage to the Ukrainian economy during the crisis. He said, we understand all the risk. We understand that there are risks. If you or anyone else has additional information regarding a 100% Russian invasion starting on the 16th, please forward that information to us. In an hour-long call on Saturday with Russian President Putin, President Biden said an invasion of Ukraine would cause widespread human suffering and that the West was committed to diplomacy to end the crisis, but equally prepared for other scenarios. It offered no suggestion that the call diminished the threat of any imminent war in Europe. So Dutch airline KLM, they're listening to what we're saying over here. They canceled flights to Ukraine until further notice. Imagine what that's doing to the economy in Ukraine. How many people or wanting to go there for business or to see relatives or worst case scenario, trying to get out of there that would have flown KLM. They can't do it now. Dutch sensitivity to potential danger there is high following the 2014 shooting down of a Malaysian jetliner flying from Amsterdam to Kuala Lumpur as it flew over a part of Eastern Ukraine that was being held by Russian backed rebels. All 298 people aboard died. 198 of those were Dutch. That may be why KLM made that drastic decision. Well, there's a charter airline in Ukraine called Sky Up. They said its flight from Madeira, Portugal to Kiev was diverted to the Moldavian capital of Chisnau after the plane's Irish lesser said it was banning flights in Ukraine airspace. Zelensky spokesman told the Associated Press that Ukraine had not closed its airspace, but their air traffic safety agency issued a statement declaring airspace over the Black Sea to be a zone of potential danger, recommended that planes avoid flying over the sea February 14th. That's starting yesterday through the 19th. So why haven't we heard any details? I'm going to tell you, In my opinion, it goes down the road to where and how the Democrats are leading 
how they always have. When they get caught in some mischievous or some wrongdoing, they don't deny it. They get loud screaming it in your ears, in your face. The louder they get, the more you know it's probably true. But when they say the same things over and over and over again, and they're not being real demonstrative, it's just kind of like we're saying them again, oh, it's imminent, it's imminent, it's imminent. If they really had credible and classified information that said it is imminent, don't you think they'd be taking some specific actions instead of just standing up there saying, don't you come over here. Don't you go over into Ukraine. We're going to whip your butts if you do, which is pretty much what Joe Biden and his administration are doing. They're not taking any definitive actions. I would hope that if any president, anybody in a presidential administration knew factually that a country which is a country that is in very friendly relationships with us, was about to be invaded by a foreign entity that doesn't like us or like them, that we would be doing more, not just talking, but doing more to stop it and make sure those people, especially Americans that are in Ukraine, are out of there. We don't need another Afghanistan. When that happened in September last year, I'll never forget how angry I got because the Biden administration wouldn't tell us how many Americans, when they pulled out, when Joe Biden pulled our military out, how many Americans that were living there, working there, there in diplomatic relationships or whatever, how many Americans were left behind enemy lines, which is what that is. The Taliban, they are our enemy. They control the country now that Joe Biden pulled us out. You remember all the numbers that we were told? We were getting private entities telling us that there were several hundred Americans that were trapped. And the Biden administration had promised not to leave. Our military wouldn't go until every American that wanted out got out. Again and again and again. And then we were told, well, there there are dozens of people. We know that. But most of them wanted and made decisions that they were going to stay privately. They were going to stay. We heard those numbers, and then in one speech, I heard Antony Blinken, Secretary of State, allude to the fact that numbers are coming out when he was pushed hard. How many people, how many Americans are still there? And he said, 100 plus, and I think it's closer to 100, which was the biggest number they ever gave us. And that was in October, I guess, the early part of October. The pullout happened September. And just the other day, it was reported that there were 9,000 Americans left behind in Afghanistan. Many of them, we don't know anything about where they are. If they're still alive, the Taliban has hunted them down and killed them or has them in captivity. We don't have any idea. They, Joe Biden, his administration, had no plans. They literally flew each decision that was made was one made simply flying by the seat of your pants. What's it feel like right now? Oh, I think let's do this. Bam, go do it. We leave 80 plus billion dollars worth of military hardware, aircraft, weapons, explosives. We just walk away from them and give them to the Taliban. Don't tell me that was a planned decision. 
That's what we have here now. And this whole Ukrainian-Russian thing and Russia invading Ukraine, I think it may be, if it's not definitely, I think it may be an attempt to create a false flag to try to send messages that have veiled meanings that aren't based upon what the actual message says, but politically that's done all the time. You know that. What messages, what intent, I have no idea. I am not sure Vladimir Putin is going to invade Ukraine at all. And I'm certainly not certain that it's going to happen quickly. I think basically in the horrors that this administration is experiencing on so many fronts, I mean, look at the horrors over COVID-19, vaccine mandates, people just revolting, all that. Our economy is in the tank. Inflation is going crazy. More and more bad news is happening, revelations about the horrors of this economy and how long it may be before Americans can dig out of the hole that this administration unilaterally dug for us. They're trying to deflect the narrative. They don't want the news people bringing up and talking about these mistakes, these problems that this administration has had. They, they don't want that. So what do you do? You put something else out there for people to talk about. I think Ukraine and its invasion pending of Vladimir Putin, and they may do it. He's done it once. I mean, it's safe to say he'll probably do it again. I think they're trying to keep us thinking about that and talking about that, not about the other stuff. What, what other stuff? We know we have an election coming up in November, and it's not just every member of the House of Representatives coming up for re-election. There are senators that are, and of course around the nation there are governors who are. In Texas, one case is kind of grabbing a lot of attention. Governor Greg Abbott, he's been challenged, at least in the early goings in campaign, not formally happening, but kind of getting rolling. His challenger looks like is going to be Beto O'Rourke. So the polls begin to happen. Anytime you have a high-level um, political election happening, like Texas always is, a lot of eyes on it. According to a poll conducted by University of Texas Politics Project, Governor Abbott leads Beto O'Rourke 47 to 37%, in large part on his strength of favorability among independent voters in the state who are breaking his way. Those independents are 42-21 in favor of Abbott. So the first primary happens in March. Abbott is preparing to face off against two Republican Party challengers, state GOP chairman and former Representative Alan West, who's been on this show before, and former state Senator Don Huffines at 14%, Alan West with 15%. The poll among registered voters was taken January 28th to February 7th, Margin of error, 2.83%. Numbers also suggest Abbott is positioned to comfortably win the Republican primary. According to the poll, 60% of the GOP primary voters say they vote to renominate Abbott for a third term as Gov. Beto, Beto's a 2016 presidential failure. He's a former congressman. I couldn't... I couldn't come up with a good name, but I think he is and was a failure. He's currently on a statewide tour, and he's emphasizing the Texas power grid. 
that notoriously failed last year, leaving hundreds of thousands of Texans with no power after that brutal winter storm. I lived through it here in northwest Louisiana, and I'm 68, lived in Louisiana most of that. I've never seen a winter storm like that here. I mean, we couldn't get out of our house for days. Democrats are hoping that uh, O'Rourke's name recognition, be it good or bad, will help him get elected and attract campaign donations from across the country. 45% of Texans say they disapprove of the job Abbott has done with respect to the power grid. I get that. But the attention of average Americans in Texas may be focused elsewhere. About half of voters in Texas say inflation is having a major impact on their household budgets and financial situations. Folks, if 100% are not saying that, they're lying because it's impacting everybody. Nobody can bow below or get out of the impacts of massive inflation anywhere in the nation. 88% of voters say they have clocked recent price increases from the grocery store to the gas pump. So here we are, election time again. I, you know, people in media, they like to, they look at elections and say, you know what, it's good we have elections because there's a lot of stuff we can talk about. When we talk about it, people are going to read or listen to us. So it's a good thing. You know, I understand that. I don't necessarily agree with it, but I understand it. I'm not going to go that way. Here at TNN Live, it's, it's this way about pretty much everything. If it's important, if it matters to most Americans, we're going to talk about it here. But to talk about it, just to talk about it, because we want people to listen, that's not what we do here. And we're not going to go down that road. Uh, we will tell you as this rolls forward, we'll tell you about things that are out there in the marketplace of ideas that may be important, and we'll give you little tidbits of information that we hear about it, we glean from News reports that we get, we get a lot of emails. People contribute a lot of information for us to cover here. We may tell you that, but we're not going to dig into it just because we want somebody to come here, just because we want them to come here. If it's factual and important, we're going to share it with you. We're going to do that. Man, this show has gone quickly. (sighs) We got a bunch left. Back right after this message at TNN Live. Papa John is not interested in quality. He's obsessed with it. Because Papa John's a pizza maker. It's what he does. That's why you've got Papa's quality guarantee, signed by the man himself. Love your pizza, or we'll deliver another absolutely free. It's my guarantee. Better ingredients, better pizza, Papa John's. And right now, save 25% when you spend 25 pounds or more online. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Hey, what do you want to da da da? I don't know. What do y'all think we should da da da? Well, what did we da yesterday? Hmm, yesterday. All the dolls feel like the same doll these days. I know. Like, is today Monday or Tuesday? Today is Thursday. <gasps> oh no, I forgot to call my mom on her birthday. Oh no! No! 
These days, nothing is normal and everything is weird. But you could still save big when you switch to Progressive. That won't change. Not to da or any da. Quote to da at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. So, Miss Harris, what makes you think you're a good fit with us here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky? Oh, sir, there are so many reasons. I specialized in research and theoretical studies for several years at the Southampton Institute, mm-hmm. preceded by intensive graduate studies at Syracuse. <laughs> Certainly, my skills are well-suited for a position here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky? Oh, thanks. A job interview and a root canal on the same day. Want to get away? Get the heck out of there with Southwest Airlines. Fly coast to coast for $99 or less by November 3rd. It was nice meeting you, sir. Yes, we'll get back to you soon. Soon. Southwest Airlines, a symbol of freedom. Call 1-800-IFLY-SWA. CBS, NBC, ABC, MSNBC, CNN. An alphabet soup of lies, myths, and disinformation. For real nutrition, you need a full plate of truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. You know, when I I talk about problems that we have here, um, I, I don't necessarily want to compare our problems to everybody else's problems. We all have problems. I mean, people that live in this nation, everybody deals with things. We all do. That's just being a human, don't you think? But... I often like to, just to thing, get things in proper perspective, relate to other things that are going on with other people. Maybe if it's just for the realization that some places things are better, some places they're worse. And I always have been taught, never feel like you're better than everybody because there's always somebody that's better than you, whatever it is. I mean, even money. You may be wealthy, but don't get too big about being wealthy. Uh, wealthy. Don't let it blow your head up too big because there's always somebody that's got more money than you do. As bad as things may be for you, don't think you're the lowest in the world. There are always other people that are worse off than are we. And I'm saying all that to say this. We've been watching energy prices. We haven't talked much about it lately. I paid $3.13 a gallon for gas uh, the other day. I guess it was Friday or Saturday, 3.13. I don't remember. It's been a long time since we paid that much for gas in Louisiana. But let me put that in perspective for you as bad as it is. You know what a gallon of gas is today in the UK? $7.70. $7.70. Now let me put that in my perspective. The day of the 2020 election, November 3rd, I filled up my tank at the same place I filled up for $3 and change on Friday or Saturday. But the day of the 2020 election, I filled up for a buck 65 a gallon. Now you put that in perspective of it doubling here, almost doubling here, just because Joe Biden is now our president and his policies have changed it. Think about the poor folks over in the UK. I mean, if, if for instance, how would that impact me? Well, I would be paying three times, four times, five times what I was paying on November 3rd, 2020. That's a that's a really big difference, but in dollars and cents, it's a huge difference, especially for middle-class people. And folks in Europe, if you're going to be middle-class over there, you make more than a middle-class person does in the United States. I promise you, I spent three months 
all in a row in the most expensive city in Europe to live in, Switzerland, Zurich, Switzerland. I mean, it's crazy expensive there. Uh, It's a beautiful city, and the country is a lot like parts of the United States. And if you just looked at the geography and the architecture and the infrastructure and vehicles, you know, just life in general, you would compare the two as being very similar. But it's way more expensive, so being middle class in these wealthy European countries, it's different than being middle class in America. Kind of compare it to what's middle class in Manhattan, living in Manhattan, compared to living in Dubok, Louisiana. Big difference, I promise you. I'm saying all that to say this. Our perspectives, in reality, that's what is true for us, is the perspective that we have. If it is not much more expensive, but we feel like, based upon our circumstances, that it is more expensive, well, by jingos, it's more expensive. Seriously, that's the way we have to look at it. And so a lot of these controversial things that we're involved in, and we, we take sides. Oh, you don't know what you're talking about. I know this. Well, you know this, whatever this is, based upon your perspective, the way you feel about something. That old saying, perception is reality. And we've got to treat it that way. $7.70 a gallon Can you imagine what that would mean to an American mom, single mom that has three kids, is working on what used to be a really high-paying job, a wage that was, you know, $15, $16 an hour. But imagine making that today in the United States and having to drive back and forth to work, taking your kids to daycare just so you can work and you're paying $7 plus for a gallon of gas? Perspective is reality in life. Just keep that in mind when we talk about these very important things that we visit with here at TNN Live every day. And by the way, don't forget, if you miss any show, you don't have to miss any of them. They're all available for you 24-7 in multiple places. You can always, first of all, go to our website, www.truthnewsnet.org and go to that particular day, the day that you're looking for the TNN live show that aired on the same day. Go to that story that day, scroll down scroll down at the bottom and you'll see a link to that day's show. It's free, doesn't cost you a dime. That's one way. If you're a podcast person and you have links to Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Tune in podcast, iHeartRadio podcast, and Stitcher. Our shows go live there shortly after each show airs every day. And if you want to get to what our show, a show where it looks like on each of these sites, in their search bars, just type in the show name, TNN Live. And the icon will pop up with a, a catalog of every show. And the top show that is listed is always the most current show. You can just put like, click on the like or the following button, and every time you go to that that, uh, podcast site, it'll pop up there. It makes it easy for you to get. That way you can listen when it's convenient for you. I know you're all very busy. We haven't talked about or heard anything about violence in the United States this week. Oh, my gosh. What happened? Did lawbreakers just quit breaking laws? Well, not so much. 
Let's look at one of those big cities that it's become something of commonplace for this kind of violence to happen. What kind of violence are you talking about? Well, rioters in Minneapolis vandalized some buildings and they blocked traffic over the weekend while demanding justice following the death of Amir Locke, who was shot by police officers during the execution of a no-knock warrant. According to Fox News in Minneapolis, Fox 9, around 50 to 100 protesters marched throughout the city, gathered outside the police department's 5th precinct, and they stopped traffic. The protest began at around 9 o'clock. I guess this was Friday night, maybe Saturday night last week. Some were caught on video that circulated around social media throwing objects through windows, causing other property damage. Photos and videos from other events um, show protesters using spray paint on businesses and other buildings, including Amir Locke, Winston Smith, and Destroy MPD, Minneapolis Police Department. Bike racks, barricades, and other objects were seen being thrown into the streets. That incident follows weeks of protest activity in Minneapolis following Locke's death. More than a 1,000 protesters marched on February 5th and February 6th. A 50-car caravan drove throughout the city and eventually stopped at the home of Minneapolis Police Department Interim Police Chief Amelia Huffman. Locke was age 22. He died during a no-knock warrant inside an apartment in the early morning hours of February 2nd which was conducted in connection with a murder in St. Paul, although Locke himself was not named in the warrant. Video that was released by the police department show Locke sleeping on a couch when cops entered the apartment. In the video, he appears to be under a blanket, but gets up when a gun can be seen in his hand before one of the officers shot him. You put that in the context of reality. Folks, if you're a cop, if you're not a cop, if you're a a human, just a regular human, and you're just working your job, and you're told as part of your job you got to go to this place, and you go in there, and you're looking for a guy, maybe not to arrest, but you were looking for a guy, and you see the guy there, and he jumps up, and he has a gun in his hand. What are you going to do? You're going to give him a chance to shoot and kill you? I hate violence, and even if it's justified violence, I still hate it. I think we should live in a society where we can, with our mouths and minds, find consensus on pretty much everything. Of course, if you demand to be ultimately right about everything and everybody else is wrong, you'll never find consensus with other people, and vice versa. But I'm sorry. It's just like the purveyors of critical race theory, they are screaming and hollering about white racism through several centuries. That has always been there. There's no question about it. And now they demand they have the the cure. The way we cure it is we pay reparations and we acknowledge that just because we're not of a color other than white, that we've been guilty for the past, and we're we're racist if you're white just simply because you're racist, which is kind of the antithesis of what reality has been 
and been discussed ad nauseum for decades, which is racism is not a biological trait. It's something that is not born in your genes. It's something that consciously anybody and everybody who is holding racism in their hearts and minds chose to do that. Yeah, maybe your environment, in your environment, living with you or around you, there are people that literally are racist. I get that. But just because that's your environment doesn't mean that you're automatically that way and that you're irredeemable and there's nothing that you can do about it. And this this sense that you can do away with racism using racism to do away with racism is just absolutely stupid. It does not make one bit of sense. Not one bit of sense. Yet, there are millions of people that have taken that and are weaponizing that against somebody simply because of their skin color. It's crazy, folks. And it's tearing us apart. Our society is nowhere closer to reconciliation and getting along and changing people's hearts and minds by being something and letting them see who you really are rather than hearing about you from someone else or just looking at you and making an educated, and I put the word educated in parentheses, quotation marks, because it's not educated, it's perception, it's reality. Novel idea. I don't know anything about you. I'd like to know about you. Why don't we get to know each other? If you feel that you'd like to get to know me, let's do it. That sounds benign. That's simple enough, isn't it? We all can do that, and we all should do that. Because our nation was founded on equality. Now, it has not always been, and probably to this day, from top to bottom, is not meeting out equality for everybody. But this nation is not charged to do that. We, the people, are charged to do that. And we choose to do that, or we choose to reject that. Many people choose to be racist. And folks, just because of your skin color, whatever it is, that doesn't make you a racist. What makes you a racist is because you choose to espouse and embrace racist ideas and ideals and concepts. Anybody that rejects that summarily is not a racist, and nobody has a right and can't justifiably call you racist, treat you like a racist, just because of your skin color. That is a fact. We've got to somehow, we've got to, we got to get past this, folks. we got to get through this. This is just insanity. This is no way to live, and nobody should have to live it this way. Across the pond, there's a bunch of other protesting going on. Nurses in Britain's socialized health care system. A bunch of them have been fired from their jobs just because they raise concerns about the National Health Service's policies on transgenderism, such as placing biological males in single-sex female wards. Oh my gosh, we're kind of seeing a little bit of that over here, aren't we? Baroness Nicholson of Winterbourne has warned the House of Lords 
that the promotion of transgender issues not only risks diminishing the privacy rights of women, but is also resulting in a chilling effect in which healthcare workers are afraid to speak out as some have already been fired for questioning the state's policies. In testimony before the House of Lords, during a very detailed scrutiny of the Health and Care Bill Act, the Tory, that's a Tory party, the Tory peer said that healthcare workers have been inhibited from speaking over concerns of being fired or being denounced as bigots for arguing for female rights. Have you seen the whole worm is turning around the world? Just because you argue for the rights of somebody because it doesn't, your argument and the fact that you're arguing doesn't fit the narrative, the political narrative of the day, that means you're a bigot. I've met several nurses who have lost their jobs because of this. This is Baroness Nicholson said. A doctor says that he no longer feels able to make comments about sex and gender. He recently delivered a baby. He said it was a girl and he was accused of transphobia. One such nurse relayed to the Tory peer that trans rights supersede all other rights and concerns at the NHS, therefore making it impossible to fulfill her mission to advocate for the vulnerable. Baroness Nicholson argued that the NHS policy of sorting patients according to their presentation, what's that, the way they dress and the name and pronouns they currently use, rather than by biological sex, has diminished significantly the safety and privacy rights of female patients. Transgenderism, and I speak as a woman, isn't it interesting? You have to qualify that, no matter what your biological sex is. In this context, you have to say, and I speak as a woman, or and I speak as a man. That fact has undermined that provision with the 2019 NHS guiding authorizing self-selection of patient gender on arrival at hospitals, something neither enshrined in law nor backed by public demand. But it's politically correct, right? See, they have that in the UK as well. Yet Parliament and our ministers have consistently declared that Women both need and should have privacy, dignity, and safety in their most vulnerable situations, such as when sick or pregnant. She, and my calling her she probably means I'm transphobic, right? (laughs) She also told the House of Lords of a case in which a 14-year-old girl turned down a cervical smear because a nurse who was to perform the test was very clearly a natural male. I get that. I understand that. The parliamentary parliamentary undersecretary of state at the Department of Health and Social Care, Lord Kamal, responded to our testimony by saying that NHS England is currently reviewing the policy of housing transgender people in same-sex wards to ensure that it remains focused on privacy, safety, and dignity for all patients. This is a conundrum that I will never comprehend, I'll never understand it, and I'll never get it resolved to be okay. Folks, there may be a dog in the world that thinks it's a cat, 
and to prove to everything around it, every other animal around it, that it is a cat, it learns how to meow instead of bark. Even if it can successfully learn how to meow, that doesn't make it a cat. It's still a dog. You can't change your sex, folks. You can't. You can change your name. You can even cosmetically change your body. You can take organs away. There's a bunch of things that you can do. Changing hormones. Trying to become a woman, trying to become a man when you're biologically the opposite. Does not, cannot, will not change one's sex. And using this whole line of reasoning, I mean, look, technically, if you want to take this out to the nth degree, if I want to say I'm an eagle and I can fly, sounds like a song in that. You have to recognize that just because I say I'm an eagle and I can fly, that I can fly. And if you don't accept it, you're evil. I can't even think of a name to call you. <laughs> It's a bigot or whatever. You would do it in the case of my identification as an eagle, a bird. I don't know where that came from. I don't know why I picked in a bird to even say that. But that's how stupid it is right now. This conversation has just gone absolutely crazy. Let me, we're getting close to the end. Let me tell you another thing that is nuts. House Republicans are planning to use their power in Congress to push back against Washington, D.C. Mayor Muriel Bowser's policies that they say are hurting people that live in D.C. On Friday, a report House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and House Oversight Committee Ranking Member Jim Comer said they're going to use their congressional authority over local D.C. affairs, which they have it constitutionally, to look into problems in the D.C. district and possibly even implement changes. And they're planning on looking at this at least if Republicans take control of the House in November. Simply put, they said, D.C. is in crisis because of Democrats' reckless policies. Oversight Committee Republicans have called on the D.C. mayor repeatedly to address a surge of homelessness and violent crime and to withdraw her unfair vaccine passport but she continues to refuse. When Republicans are back in power in 2023, we will use tools at our disposal to hold the D.C. mayor accountable for implementing policies that are destroying America's capital city. Leader McCarthy echoed a similar statement, arguing that Bowser's not done enough to combat crime in D.C. Carjackings, murders, tent cities, rampant drug use, and our nation's capital is skyrocketing and as a result of Democrats' failed policies. I I, got to be honest with you folks. We are so divided in this nation right now. I don't know about you, and I'm not going to be desperate. I'm not going to be despondent, but I just don't like the way things are going. We're not getting along, but not only that, we're not acting like we even want to get along. That really bothers me a lot. 70 unaccompanied migrant minors were found near the border of Mexico and Arizona. 
Tucson Sector Border Patrol agents apprehended 70 unaccompanied migrant minors. They'd already crossed from Mexico into Arizona over this past weekend. The children were part of a large group of 112 overall. This is an example, folks. There is no way you can justify, rectify, legitimize the open border under U.S. law. It cannot be done. And those that are trying to do it, they're lying to themselves, they're cheating themselves, they're cheating their children, they're cheating their fellow Americans because by doing that, you're obfuscating the rule of law. You're obfuscating what the U.S. Constitution is all about and what we as Americans are supposed to be doing about living. And the number one thing is abiding by the rule of law. Wow, what a Tuesday. Look, we've got our finger on the pulse of pretty much everything happening. Stay close. By the way, if Ukraine is to be taken over by um, Russia, Vladimir Putin, they're going to invade for the second time. I promise you, we will know and we will tell you as soon as it actually begins to happen. Until tomorrow, let me just say this. I appreciate you being here. Appreciate you being our partners. Let me know how you feel, questions, insults, <laughs> whatever. Dan at truthnewsnet.org. Who draws the crowd and plays so loud, baby, it's the guitar man. Who's gonna steal the show, you know, baby, it's the guitar man.
Just got to find 